Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Heard Tell, okay, let's go back overseas. Going to Germany, country I love dearly. Got to live there two different times, close to my heart. And a new contributor from Young Voices. Very excited to talk to him, Torben Albi. Halby. See, I messed it up, and I was even practicing it despite my German. My uh, my Sprechenzi Deutsch is not what it should be, my friend. But I'm glad to have you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Uh, you were writing about Sri Lanka before we get into the details for it, because we've been covering it for our audience because it crosses a whole lot of streams with geopolitics, um, economic things, uh, foreign policy stuff. What got you into looking into Sri Lanka? Because I know while we've been covering it, what got you interested in it that you started digging into it yourself? Well, to be honest, I never had much interest in Sri Lanka except for, well, I am generally following politics around the world, uh, but I had no special interest in Sri Lanka, but I, am a bi- but I am a biologist, you know. Of course, I followed the news about the current crisis in Sri Lanka, and then I heard that organic farming was related to it, um, because there was a ban on organic farming in April of 2021, which contributed to the whole crisis. As a politically interested biologist, I have well, I like to criticize organic farming, uh, not as a luxury, but I criticize the idea that it would be able to feed mankind, basically. And I, I admire science, and I, I, I admire the well, the progress that has been made in food production. If you consider artificial fertilizers and pesticides, and I, I think those are. Well, some of the best inventions in the history of mankind, and then you have these people, these organic farming universalists, so to speak, who just want to get rid of that for ideological reasons, and uh, that really bothers me. Now, you say you're a biologist. People are going to like, well, what's that got to do with politics? Well, it has quite a bit to do with it, but let's get the nomenclature right, because when you see organic, people think organic like the the label they see at the supermarket, something is organic. Organic farming in and of itself isn't new because farmers have always, you know, they raise their livestock, then they use the manure for the livestock to fertilize their field. That that kind of organic stuff has been going on for centuries. That's all healthy stuff. When you're talking organic farming in a bad sense when it comes to things like Sri Lanka, though, this is a new use of the word organic, isn't it, where they're trying to just strip away any kind of advancements in technology. Just walk us through the nomenclature as a biologist for a minute, what you mean by this kind of organic. Yes, you're right. Uh, traditional farming was organic. People had no choice, basically. They would farm very ineffectively, backbreaking labor, 
without machines, uh, without artificial fertilizer. Well, this kind of gradually started to change. For example, uh, people started to use guano. I don't know how it's pronounced in English. It's like the it's like bird shit basically. Yeah. And was like a, a very effective fertilizer. For example, during the colonial age that it was discovered, and for for most of the industrial age, it was used to 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 fertilize fields. There were even wars about some islands which contain a lot of that. But then um, there was a German chemist, Fritz Haber, developed a, an amazing uh, method to get nitrogen out of the air. As you know, nitrogen is the main constituent of air, but it's molecular, ni molecular nitrogen, N2, which is not very reactive. And then he, he figured out a method to to combine it with hydrogen to um, produce ammonium in the end, which you can use to fertilize. And this changed everything. And well, it helped to even sustain the, the population in the world that we have today. And of course, the other important development were pesticides. Before pesticides, you would have farmers used to do it by hand but eventually you would have machine machines to do it pesticides kind of do away with that need to put that much labor into getting rid of all those harmful other plants which would compete with your food plants yeah and basically what they did was when you can fertilize and you cut down on pesticides which cuts down you're increasing the yield exponentially people can grow a lot more crops and they can do it more sustainably and they can get more they're going to know what they're going to get out of each crop that sort of thing so fast forward to sri lanka the government in sri lanka in 2021 starts cracking down on organic farming now this is a country that's already impoverished to start with but when they started to crack down on this organic farming, and again, not natural farming or cyclical farming, we call it in English. I don't know what they call it in Europe, but uh, I can I can smell the smell right now driving through the German countryside. They still organically fertilize in a lot of places. Um, in Sri Lanka, the government started intervening and pushing for this new organic farming, they called it, where they didn't want the fertilizer and they didn't want the pesticide. What happened in Sri Lanka that started a lot of the tragedy that we're seeing now? Well, in Sri Lanka, they decided to do basically an overnight ban of for, for the import of inorganic fertilizer as well as synthetic pesticides like glyphosate. So it was just banned, you know, so people couldn't import it anymore. And for their farming, they had relied on that this just destroyed farming and uh, it had an effect on rice farming which is like the main food they grow there but it also had an effect on tea farming which they normally export and which really contributes to the trade balance of, of Sri Lanka because it's an ex important uh, and expensive good that they export so they at the same time um, reduce their ability to export, which uh, uh, plunged a lot of people into, into poverty. And they also were not able to grow enough food for their own population anymore, which they then had to try and import. And uh, you have to remember that at that time, they, they already were in a currency crisis. So the currency was already weak. They already had few uh, foreign, foreign reserves. 
uh, in currency. So and now all of a sudden the exports died down and they had to import a lot of food, which really added to the crisis overall. So not only people had a food shortage and uh, couldn't really farm anymore, but it really spiraled out of control into other areas of the economy because of the whole foreign exchange problem. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Because Sri Lanka, as we've been covering, they they are down to almost no foreign currency reserves. This is an island nation. So when you have to start importing and exporting, that's more fuel. That's more effort. Um, the food shortage problem, of course, rises prices on everything else. The fuel shortage means you can't make food. When you can't produce your own food in a country, especially an isolated country, an island country that's already impoverished, that's a domino that is just basically the worst possible thing to have happen to an economy, especially one that was already under stress, as you pointed out. Exactly. And before before that ban, they could produce all the foods they needed, at least when it comes to rice. Of course, they would have imported other foods to some degree, but rice, which was the main food for them, they were uh, self-sufficient on that. As long as they still had fertilizer, as long as they still had uh, uh, real pesticides. Um, and ironically, the whole scheme of just banning the import of these things was supposed to save the the currency, and it was supposed to save the you know the foreign reserves, the foreign currency reserves, because well, some someone looked at the the balance and saw that each year they ex sorry they import a lot of fertilizer and they import a lot of pesticides, and then well, they thought let's just ban it. So we no longer have to import all that stuff and we will no longer have to well pay for it and lose our remaining foreign currency. But of course, that's not how it works, because in the end, it costs them much more. You know, they were no longer importing it, but then 
they couldn't grow enough food and they couldn't grow enough tea to export. So it was a, a bad decision for the, the, the balance overall. Yeah, Torben Holby joining us. And the thing about this is we know that the the, the current government, well, the now ex-government, because they've had to flee, the government in Sri Lanka had a lot of issues. They had some nepotism. They had incompetence. They had corruption. But the international community, there was a lot of cheerleading for this rule when it first came into place, wasn't it? Yes. If we talk about organic organic farming, and I don't mean organic farming in the sense that, you know, some some wealthy people just buy it as a luxury. This is well, this is just a market, I would say. I'm not talking about organic farming as a universal idea where people want to turn all farming, all farming organic. Um, and there are some scholars and activists around the world, many in the West, but also in other countries, who, well, they think it would be a really good idea to just uh, scrap conventional farming entirely. And that lobbying for this in a different, different ways. In the West, politics is, is, is quite complex and a lot of interest groups have some interaction. So you couldn't just ban organic farming overnight. What you will have in the West is two things. You will either, uh, these activists and scholars uh, will either try to go for limits, which means, for example, you have a limit on nitrate, which you can emit into the environment as a farmer. And since uh, mineral fertilizer will contain nitrate, you will easily go over that limit. So this is kind of like an indirect pressure to against conventional farming. And it, this is the cause of the current Dutch farmers' protests in the EU, because the EU has these, these limits. Um, and uh, Dutch farming is very intensive. Even though it's like quite a small country, they are feeding a lot of Europe, basically, because they have very efficient, uh, intensive farming. Uh, and all those other European countries, well, it's kind of the problem if you have a union of a lot of countries and they are very different. For all those countries who do not have that intensive farming, it's easy to agree to some limits on nitrate because, well, for them, it just looks good in the media and they will never reach those limits anyway. But, well, the Dutch do reach those limits, you know. So that's that's one thing in developed, in developed countries. And the other things, the other thing would be to define like a percentage-based uh, area for organic farming, which has also happened in the EU. Uh, there's a EU strategy to turn 20% of the entire well farmland in the EU uh, to organic farming in the next few years. So again, this is not considering the market. It's just like a political directive, which people, because of some, some lobbyists, have um, well implemented. But in the West, you will still have farmers associations and other lobbies who work against this. So you will not get 100%, which is good. 20% enforced, 20% is bad, but it's better than it's still better than 100%. Well, in developing countries, if you are such a lobbyist and you somehow manage to influence, for example, in Sri Lanka, the ruling family, so to speak, um, you can go for crazy things like 100% overnight. And that was what really happened in Sri Lanka was even if you were going to do this, farmers plan way ahead of time. They're planning two or three seasons ahead of time. They're, you know, right now we're into the fall. They've already planned for the winter. They're already working on spring and next year's book because they're always working ahead. You, you know, your background is in biology. 
what kind of an effect to the practical farming is it when you just get a rule out of the clear blue sky that is immediately implemented like this? It's the worst case scenario, and it's absolutely impossible for the farmers because they've already got their crops in for not only this season, but probably next season. They're stored up for the winter, whatever the seasons are down there. This is a devastating thing to just spring on an industry like farming without any warning whatsoever, isn't it? Yes, of course, especially if you consider that Sri Lanka is a quite poor country. What happened in Sri Lanka was that large parts of the farmlands went unused even because farmers didn't know what to deal with it. Nearly a third of of agricultural land uh, remained unused in 2021 and rice production fell by 20%. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think even the Soviets were able to do that that fast back in the day. Uh, Torben Holben joining us. I'm going to keep working on his name. I'm going to get it right, I promise. Uh, he's got another example in the piece from neighboring to Sri Lanka over in India. We're going to talk about that real quick, continue to talk about the organic mission, kind of where the politics and the practical aren't matching up. Our friend Torben Holbe over in Germany will continue on her tell right after this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Uh, welcome back to Hort. See, I was practicing my German. Now I can't even say the name of my own show in English. But as our friend just pointed out, the language of the world is bad English. So we're all good here. I'm Andrew Donaldson. This is Hurt Tell. That's Torben Albe. That's our good friend from Germany joining us. We're having a little bit of a language problem, but we're going to get through it because he's a very sharp individual. We're talking about Sri Lanka, but you compared next door to Sri Lanka, of course, is India. India is one of the world powers. One of the reasons we have been paying attention to Sri Lanka is because China's involved, India's involved, America holds a bond on a lot of the debt. This is a lot of geopolitics. But you took one of the farming examples from neighboring India. Tell us about that and how it also proves that this organic mission of farming, this new definition of organic farming, this is probably going to fail just about everywhere they try it if they insist on doing this top-down kind of instant change thing instead of letting it, for lack of a better term, organically develop and the technology involved, right? Well, I would say even if you give it time, you will never reach 100% of organic farming. You will probably not even reach the 20% that uh, the European Union is trying to go for because it's not efficient. You know, the the idea that, as I said, a lot of experts and activists uh, were lobbying Sri Lanka for this decision. Uh, one example is actually a guy from Washington. His name is Hans Rudolf Herren. Uh, he, so Hans Rudolf Herren of Washington-based Millennium Institute was one of these experts. And, and another was Vandana Shiva from India. 
So it's not all Western experts, but uh, still quite a lot. They were, they were first lobbying Sri Lanka to go for this change overnight. And when that succeeded, the international community of these activists applauded Sri Lanka for the decision. Of course, well, it didn't go well. So their reaction was to say, uh, of this direction of this pro-organic farming community was to say, well, it was just too sudden, you know. The farmers didn't have time to adapt, even though, well, it was some of them who actually advised the government to go for this sudden change, however. So the farmers didn't have time to adapt. And if you go for it more slowly, then it will work out. And you can just slowly but surely turn all farming, farming organic. Uh, but you mentioned India, and there is a state in India, which is called Sikkim. And in that state, they actually try to go for universal organic farming, but in a slow and controlled way. And it still turned out bad. What happened in, what happened in Sikkim was, so they began the organic mission, as they called it, in 2003. And then only 13 years later, in 2016, they declared it to be fully organic. And this was a law. So all farmers were strictly forbidden to use synthetic pesticides and chemical fertilizers. It didn't turn out well, even though there had been many years to adapt because, well, it's a, in the same year, 2016, some researchers declared Sikkim food deficient. They said that farming, organic farming, can only provide 30% 30, 30 of the population's needs. And well, the other 70% of food had to be imported. So they started to import non-organic food from neighboring Indian states. Um, which is a pattern which we will continue to see. For example, the same thing happened in Bhutan, which is another state in the region, which also tried to go for 100% organic farming. As soon as you go for that, you will not have enough food. The food price will rise. And if you don't want people to starve, especially in a, in a developing country, you will have to import non-organic food. So in the end, you're just, I don't know, uh, sabotaging your own non-organic farming just to import organic and uh, non-organic food from other countries which makes no sense actually yeah and eventually the uh, the government in Sikkim saw it as a problem that the, the organic transition doesn't work and their their idea was to try and ban the import of non-organic food but uh, luckily this led to protests you know people not only farmers, I think also the retailers protested because because they knew that people wouldn't have been able to pay six times the price for the food. Not even middle class customers could have done that. Uh, so they protested and in the end, the government of Sikkim didn't ban the import of other food, uh, of, of non-organic food. This protest prevented starvation and rioting because in Sri Lanka, we actually see rioting and we actually see the food shortage. Why why is there such a disconnect? Because farming is not like some esoteric debate club topic. You're either producing food or you're not. This is a hard and fast kind of business of like you produce the food or you don't. You produce the animals, you don't. You produce the crops or you don't. And if you don't produce food, people are going to suffer. And yet there's still folks and activists that just despite this evidence in front of them will continue to push this 
you know, no matter what, we need to do this right now because of reasons. And they'll say environmental reasons or political reasons or whatever the case may be. I don't understand how you can see human suffering and not go, okay, we we need to adjust here. And yet we're seeing it, like you just said, we saw it in India. We're seeing it in Sri Lanka. We're going to see it again and again. Why is there that disconnect between what's happening in reality and the, you know, the activist, intellectual, political, the folks that sit in places like Brussels that don't put their hands in the dirt, they just can't seem to put the two and two together or do they just don't care? Well, that's a classic problem of intellectualism, I would say. You have intellectuals in all areas who don't work. It's not just farming, you know. You have people whose only job is to criticize those who do work. And if you then succeed in your criticism and uh, well some measures get taken some political measures the only thing you can do is well keep criticizing because it's your job you know <laughs> so <laughs> you you kind of have to keep criticizing until all the limits for nitrate and all the other stuff is so well problematic so 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 impossible to keep that entire systems collapse so this, this class of intellectuals is a huge problem Another problem is, at least in Western systems, as I said, you still have farmers associations who kind of work against that, which is good. But in politics, this is all about compromise. You know, if you have one side who asks for some limits on nitrate, for example, and you have the other side who says, oh, let's have no limit, the normal political process will result in some compromise, which is in the middle. So you have some sort of limit. And then a few years later, there will be the same discussion again. So the, 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 the activists will ask for higher limits, and then the farmers will say, oh, no, let's keep the current limits. And then, well, another compromise, you know. Uh, this is a problem with politics that um, it's not about who, who knows what's best, because that would be the market. The, in the market, if farmers were just in the market, they would now for what cost they can produce how much food and uh, where to sell it, you know, and the customers would know how much they want to pay. But in politics, it's not about that. In politics, it's about, well, who has a lobby, who has power, and then you work on some sort of compromise between these people. What should we gather, though? Because like you said, the richer countries or richer individuals that want to do organic farming, you know, they're, they're more than capable of going out, buying some farmland and doing this to their heart's content. What should we take away the fact that European countries and other countries, they seem to converge on a place like Sri Lanka that's already got problems and that are susceptible. And they're, let's just call it what it is. They're kind of being victimized here with this. They're getting guinea pigged on stuff like this. Just on a moral level, I find that to be very wrong. But also on a policy, if you really want to advocate for your thing, why would you try it in somewhere that's probably doomed to fail anyway because of the circumstances? This really feels like they took advantage of Sri Lanka on multiple levels here to me. Does it to you? Yes, to me, it feels like a sort of colonialism. I, I dislike the word because so many leftists use it, you know, for, for all sorts of things. <laughs> but, in, but in that case, it really, it really is like that. You have, well, you have wealthy, powerful people in the West. But in the West, they are making slow progress. Well, progress from their point of view. Because in the West, politics is more complex more more integrated and other people also have to say so instead they go to to places where it's easier to influence politics to a degree they really believe in it of course there's money in that there's money in that too if you for example 
produce organic fertilizer or something like that, then of course, if you can uh, influence political decisions so that you will sell more of it, you will make money. Uh, but, but that's not all of it. I think they're really just convinced that this would be good for the world and they make a living from telling people that, it's, that it would be good for the world. So they, they have to keep going, you know, they have to, to keep it running. What's the uh, what's a practical thing we can talk to? Put your biology hat on for just a second. What's something practical here? Because really the problem with this is when you come in with a top-down regulatory thing like this organic farming, what we really need to do if we're worried about feeding people, which should be the first concern with farming, is how to unleash them, not how to entangle them in something that's not going to work. Is it a policy answer? Is it a public pressure answer? Is it highlighting this failure and dealing with it in a human way? What's the path forward here to try to get some traction on this issue in a productive way, do you think? It's a good question. I mean, in the, in the big picture, I think we as well, somewhat classical liberal people, we are always arguing against arguing against all the intellectuals and all those areas. But that's probably too big of a of a thing to address, and it will take many years, I guess, to to go to the bottom of that problem. And it will not help. It will not help with the current debate. So, well, the science is quite clear. The science is clear. Plants will need nutrients. And if you don't get those nutrients to them in an efficient way, they will not grow as efficiently. Same for pesticides. If your plants are always beset by some sort of, uh, I don't know, insect or whatever, that will take away from, away from the total nutrition this plant can provide, and it might even kill the plant. You can also look at history. You can see how in the past, uh, from the same field, people were able to get far less uh, food than they can now and uh, if you look at European history you will a lot of you will see a lot of episodes where where there was starvation because uh, the harvest failed you know and these are things that we no longer have because of fertilizer and 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 because of pesticides because of progress technological technological progress this is one argument that I would make but to to some degree the whole culture of arguing is intellectual in itself you know what i mean it's always about well this notion that you could come up with with some solution to very complex pro problems that you could, could come up with some solutions in some sort of abstract level where some smart people discuss while i think in truth the solution is with the people on the ground you know the people who, who do the farming who, who have the practical experience but they are not intellectuals. They will not join any discussions in any uh, proper way. And even if they would, it's it's not some sort of information that you that you could put into words. You know, the, the, the knowledge where to plant what and how to fertilize your your field and all of that. It's not good for intellectual debate. So what I would I would try to argue is to just leave it to the people who know how to do it. That's what, I, that's what I would at least try to do, even though I think with the current culture of debate, it will be difficult. Leave it to the people that know what they're doing is such a simple concept, and yet we develop entire political ideologies to make sure we don't do that very thing. Isn't that amazing? Amer Humans are an amazing species because that's exactly <laughs> what we do. Uh, our friend Torben Holbe uh, from over in Germany has been joining us. Fantastic conversation. We really appreciate your time today. 
again, the suffering in Sri Lanka is horrible. Please make sure you keep up to date with what's going on with those folks. My friend, until we hear from you again, let folks know what you have going on, where they can follow you. We're going to link to your piece in Town Hall. Please read the whole thing in its entirety. We always tell folks. Uh, but let folks know where they can follow you and what you have going on until we talk to you again. Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Yes, it's just Torben Halbe. <laughs> so, now that it has been said so often, you can actually uh, go for that. So my name is just Torben Halbe without, without any spaces or anything. Um, and I, I recently joined a think tank in Berlin, which is called Ego Institute. You know, we want to go for the individualism. So it's quite new still, but the address is Ego slash institute.org as of now it's all still in german but you can follow us there sign up for the newspaper and we are in the progress of translating it it's just still a very young thing yep and we can always google translate until then uh torben my friend very much appreciate your time uh thank you so much for joining us i look forward to talking to you again in the future best of luck with the new think tank and we'll speak again real soon my friend thank you for your time same. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.